I'm so excited about this message today. Uh, I know Brother Colby, he gets excited. He, he's just an excited person. But I felt like Colby Friday night on his you know, ca- caffeine stuff. I couldn't go to sleep. Man, I just started preaching this message over and over in my head, going over and over. It's so, I mean, it was after 9 o'clock before I ever got to sleep. I mean, it, I, was, I just stayed awake going over and everything. And so, uh, it, seriously, I was, we go to bed early. What time, y'all laughing? It was, that's late for us, 9 o'clock. But I was so excited about that. Let me just tell you, this morning, there's some of you here, and all of us have different struggles in our life. And there's some here, and you don't know Jesus, and you're struggling with finances. Or maybe you're struggling with a relationship issue. Maybe you're thinking, if I just had a better job, I could be happier. Or if I could make more money, I would be happy. Let me tell you, today, your greatest need is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, there are Christians here today, and some of you are maybe struggling with some of the same issues, financial issues or relationship issues. But I want to encourage you this morning from God's word, as we'll see, because we know Jesus, all these other things are small things. And what do we learn about the small things? Don't sweat the small things, okay? Because we know Jesus. But if we don't know Jesus, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? The whole world, and yet loses his own soul. What we see in Romans 8 should excite us. It's what keeps us pressing on. As Kobe read a while ago, our faith, though it's been distressed, but though we're being distressed and tried by various trials, it will result as pure gold. God is at work in us and refining us and making something beautiful for us and out of us. So turn to Romans chapter 8, 28 this morning. Romans 8, 28. You say, well, preacher, you were out. We did this last Sunday. You did not. I know you did. I listened to it on the computer. It's an amazing thing. You can listen. I mean, you don't even have to look at us. You can listen without looking at us. And I heard Brother Kyle's message, and all of our messages are on uh, albertabaptist.org, right? Somewhere close. Okay. And you can listen to all the messages there. But uh, Brother Kyle did a great job last Sunday with Romans 8.28. You know, he reminded us that good and bad things happen to Christians. Now, there's some people who say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. It's not, yes, bad things happen to us. And then when good things do happen to us, the good things are an act of God's grace in our life. We know that all good things come from Father, our, our, from, from God, from our Father, as he is, uh, gives us all good things. And so they're an act of God's grace in our life. But he also said that, that we can't, we're not immune from a fallen world. So when bad things happen to us, God is able to work them for our good, to work them for our good. And Kyle reminded us last week that God entered into our bad to bring about our ultimate good. You know, the bad world that Christ came into and he was crucified, yet he conquered death for us and offers to us the ultimate good of eternal life. So this passage, Romans 8, we're going to look at 28 through 30 this morning. It's so important for all of us because we can get so distracted by the mundane little things of life that we fail to see the big picture, the big picture. And that's what we see in Romans 8, 28 through 30. It is the big picture. So I'm going to go back this morning, begin in verse 28, but we're going to go through verse 30. And what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to tell you, and then tell you what I told you, okay? All right? So this is what I'm going to tell you. And this comes from our 
uh, our oldest son, doctor, I call him doctor, KJ Pugh. He's not a doctor. But anyway, KJ, I went to his website. It's amazing, that intranet. And I, I saw this on his website. He preached through Romans. And in verses 26 and 27, we looked at a couple of weeks ago about how the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. But let me just share this poem with you. In our weakness, the Spirit groans for us. So let's rest in Him without all the fuss. In our confusion, the Spirit knows all. So let's trust in His interceding call. Here we are today. God wisely works everything for our good. So let's love and adore Him as we should. Verse 29, God loved his people from the beginning. So let's rejoice in our happy ending. All those loved by God make it to this end. So let's claim Christ as our king and friend. Isn't that good? I mean, it's amazing he can write poetry like that. He grew up, listen, roses are red, violets are purple, sugar is sweet, and so is maple circle. You know, that's the kind of stuff he grew up with. But this poem sets everything, kind of lays it out there for us, Okay. God is working and we can trust his hand. So let me read for you verse 28 through 30. And we know, K-N-O-W, do you know this? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why do we know that? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, for the truth of your word. God, we pray that we would, that you would open our eyes, Lord, that we may behold how wonderful these truths are how glorious your plan is for each of us, your children. And Father, that plan will not be thwarted. That plan will take place in each of our lives. And we rejoice in that today. And thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. These verses remind us of two things. Number one, first of all, we constantly trust and rest in the Father's good hand. We constantly trust and rest in the Father's good hand. Why? Because we know God causes all things to work together for our good. We can rest and we can trust. Some of you here this morning need to take a deep breath. Life has been fast. Life has been furious. And for many, life has been tough. I want you to rest this morning. I want you to trust God's good hand is at work in your life, okay? Romans 8, 28 reminds us of that. Paul says, we know, this is a promise, a promise. We know that all things, God causes all things to work together in good times and bad. Don't forget that in the midst of the chaos of life. Why do I always talk about this? Why do I say, don't forget? Why do I say that? Because we are what? Monumental forgetters. If you're new to Alberta, that's something we say a lot. We just forget. We forget. We forget how much God loves us. We forget what great things God has done for us. We forget who we are many times. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. We forget. We are monumental forgetters. Kenneth Weiss says, we know with an absolute knowledge 
that all things are constantly, constantly working together, resulting in good for those who are loving God, for those who are called ones according to his purpose. We know, let me remind you this morning, we know that God's hand is at work all around us. Therefore, we're constantly trusting and resting in our Father's good hand. Now, who who is the recipient of this promise? Paul tells us, those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Kyle said that last week, that there's a human side and a divine side to designate those who received this promise. See, this promise is not just for the guy on the street. We can't go out there and say that. We can't. But for children of God, for Christians, we can say that with absolute confidence and assurance. Kyle said last week, he gives a human side and a divine side to designate those who receive this promise. As I said, this great promise is not some general principle of the universe. You know, when I was playing football, you always heard this, no pain, no gain. We don't know that to be true. We heard this all of our life. Suffering will make you a better person. How many times you heard that? That's not a truth. We don't know that. Some people suffer all their life and they never see any good. Some people are in pain all their life and there's never any gain. So those things are kind of, there's not some universal say. This church is a promise from God. And we know God causes all things to work together for good. It's not some universal universal principle. This promise is far more glorious than that. You know, the title of the message is God's glorious plan. I don't use that word very often, glorious. But it's the only thing I could come up with because this plan is what? Thank you. Glorious. This plan is glorious. The promise is that God's hand is constantly acting on behalf of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. What does that mean? It means that the sovereign God of the universe acts on behalf of his children whom he has called. He personally works to cause all things to work together for their good. It's a promise for those who love God. It's a promise for those who are called according to his purpose. The human side, as Kyle said last week, those who love God. You know, we live in a world of labels, don't we? Even in the church, you know, we got Baptist, Methodist, you got fundamentalists, you got moderates, you got all kinds of things. But l- let me throw a label out there this morning. See if you can put this one on your shirt that you love God. You know, you may be conservative, you may be moderate, you may be liberal, whatever. But let me ask you, can you wear this label? I love God. I know God and I love God. I love God. You have a passionate love for God. Can we honestly label ourselves as someone who has a deep, abiding, passionate love for God? Do your friends know you as one who loves God? See, when, when we love, love changes things. Love is powerful. Love will make little boys take a bath and comb their hair and brush their teeth. When I was in the second grade, love made me grow hair. Val Nielsen said, I'll be your boyfriend if you'll let your hair grow out. See, I had this neat flat top with the butch wax in the front. And so she said, if you'll let your hair grow out, I'll be your girlfriend. Man, boom, there goes the hair. Love makes us do sometimes difficult things. Let me ask you, how has your love for God changed your life? Those who love God, 
Those who love God, think about it. Is that important? They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, Mark 12, 30, the first and greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the label we wear. We love God. And so the question is, how has that love impacted our life? See, the amazing thing about loving God is this. What what does the Bible say? We love God because he first loved us. Wow. Wow. We love him because he first loved us. We'll look at that more in just a minute. But those who love God, Paul says we can trust and rest in the Father's good hand. He's working all things together for our good. Now, what is our good? Well, this comes more into focus as we look at Kyle's divine side of this promise. Remember that? Those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. Now, now let me just say this. He's not talking about two groups of people, those who love God and then those who are called according to his purposes. What he's doing, he's given us two definitions of the same group. He's describing the same group in two different ways. Those who love God are called according to his purposes. So if you love God today, you're called according to the purposes of God. If If you're a child of God, You love God and God has a purpose. What is his purpose for you? Let's see that in verses 29 and 30. Let me just give you a hint though. His purpose is mind blowing. It's more mind blowing than you could ever imagine. As believers, we celebrate and rejoice in the father's glorious plan. If you're a Christian today, I want to remind you so that you can know all things work together for good. God has a glorious plan for your life. Paul begins now to to show us God's purpose in 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So Paul tells us that this purpose is for those in verse 28 who've been called according to this purpose, okay? Okay. Now he begins, I like, it's kind of like Paul kind of pulls back the curtains of heaven. So, you know, you've just been slopping along there and going to work nine to five, trying to raise your kids, all this stuff. Hey, let me tell you what's going on behind heaven, behind heaven's curtain. God has been at work. He called you according to the foreknowledge of God, the father. Peter says that, that we've been called according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that we may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled in his blood. We're going to get into some deep water this morning spiritually, okay? So put your floaties on and hang in there with me, okay? This is what the Bible says. Paul says we've been called for this purpose. This calling is explained in 29 and 30. He reveals to us an amazing calling that involves an amazing process that God uses to accomplish this plan. Now, I noticed I used the word process. Living in Tuscaloosa, have you ever heard that word process? Let me tell you, this process never comes up short. I'm not complaining. I'm not, we've got some good teams. We've got a great coach. But Coach Saban's process is not infallible. This process is infallible. It will be accomplished. It never comes up short, okay? This is the heavenly process. 
This is intended this morning to be a great encouragement for all of us. The truths of 29 and 30 set the stage of 31 through 39. Pastor Colby will be preaching next, next Sunday. Because of the truths of 29 and 30 that God has for, called us these, with the foreknowledge and he's predestined us to become like his son. Because of those truths, we can say God is for us. We can say with confidence that nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. How do we know that? Verse 29, two words there. Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, foreknew is the first word, he also predestined. Two big words, right? Let me look at them. First of all, he foreknew us. To know someone, to know in biblical tense, to foreknow is to have a relationship with someone. So if he foreknew us, we can say with confidence that God chose us. And that's not foreign to what the Bible teaches. We'll see more in just a minute. To know someone is to have a relationship with that one. Adam knew his wife Eve, and that's why we're all here. Jesus said in Matthew 7, on that day, many will come and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, for I never what? What? Never knew you. Did they somehow get underneath the radar of Jesus, the omniscient God? No. I never had a personal relationship with you. That's the story of my life. I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God personally until my freshman year in college. Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. To To foreknow someone... The Bible says he foreknew us from the beginning. Jeremiah 1, 4. Before I formed you in the womb, he says, I knew you. He chose us to be a part of his family. And again, that's an amazing thing. The amazing thing is it takes place even before our calling. When does this choosing take place? Before creation. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Now, I know a lot of people who throw up a wall when you're talking about foreknowledge and predestination, but listen to me. God knows everything. He is omniscient. He knows it all. And his foreknowledge here, he says that he didn't foresee what was going to happen. He foreknew. He had a relationship with us before we were even created. And he, for whom, not what he foreknew, whom the calling of God on our life is very personal. Just like he said to Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. Read Psalm 139 if you ever doubt that. God's foreknowledge is personal. He knew you and loved you from the foundation of the world. Why did he love you from the foundation of the world? The same reason he loved the nation of Israel, the chosen nation of Israel. He he chooses us for the same reason. He says in Deuteronomy 7, because he loved them. Because he loved them. Not because they were more numerous or more powerful than the other nations. He loved them. So how does this work in our life? How does God foreknow us? Well, theologians have argued about that for centuries. I like what John MacArthur says. 
He said, the full truth about God's omniscience cannot be comprehended even by believers. No matter how much we may love God and study the Bible, we cannot fathom such mysteries. All I can tell you is what the Bible says. People often ask me something about the you know, deep that's above my head, which isn't very difficult, and I just go to Ecclesiastes. The wisest man in the world said, just as you do not know the path of the wind or how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant mother, neither do you know the activity of God. God's foreknowledge is a mystery to us, and it should be because it belongs to God. God, whom he foreknew, he predestined. This is where we get to the good part. He chose us by his foreknowledge, and then he conforms us. God has a destiny for every believer, and it is predetermined. We are predestined. Look at this. He determined long ago that all of his children would be like his son, Jesus. Notice that in verse 29. That he predestined to become those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. God determined that. God knew, where, God knew what he was going to do with us before he even calls us. Predestined. Someone said that predestined is what they do before they go to the beach. Predestined. Anyway, you don't, okay. But the key word here is destiny, okay? Or destination. Destination. We can know where we're going. I heard about a group of senior adults, and they had a monthly mystery bus trip. And they must not have been Baptists because they all put a quarter in the bus when they got there to guess where they would go. And whoever guessed where they were going would win the pot. Couldn't have been Baptists. You know who won every month? The bus driver. <laughs> he knew exactly where they were going. Let me tell you this more. You know, we're not just wandering aimlessly in life. Some of you may be wondering about my job, my marriage, my career. But let me tell you, if you're a Christian, I know where you're going. It's predetermined. You're going to be like Jesus. God is going to conform you into the image of his son. That's where we're all headed as believers. God is going to conform us into the image of Jesus. God has established that. God knows each of our destiny. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. See, that's important for us to remember. Because in the everyday activities of life, God has not called us to be happy, but to be holy. God is working. We, by his hand, is working all things together for our good. I lost my job. I've got a sick child. God's destiny will be accomplished. Destination, where am I headed? I'm headed toward being like Jesus. God is going to use even the difficult things in my life to make me into the image of his son, to conform me into the image of his son, to conform you into the image of his son. That's God's plan for each one of us. That is what's been predestined. You know, people get upset about predestination. That's what God has predetermined. We're, as believers, we're going to be just like Jesus. He started that process. He's going to complete it. Philippians 1.6, I'm confident, Paul says, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm confident. What's he going to do? He's going to make us into the image. The Greek word there for image is when we get our word icon, icon. 
Now, years ago, people used to have icons in their home, little images that they would worship or whatever. But now we have icons where? On our computer. What does that mean? That this icon points me to a, a, a bigger program, a greater reality, if you will. There's a little icon, an image that tells me what I can do if I go there. We are being conformed into the image. Let me tell you, it's, it's a two-part deal. Right now, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Jesus looks like. And that's what God wants us to look like as we're walking in the Spirit and filled with Spirit. So that other people can see the image of Jesus in us. But let me tell you, one day, we're going to be just like him. 1 John 3 says, we shall see him as he is. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see what? Face to face. And we're going to be like Jesus. Because God has determined from the very beginning that all of his children will be like his son. And so that he would become the firstborn among many brethren. What does that mean? The firstborn among many brethren. God's plan is to make a whole family of people just like Jesus. That's what that means. It's predetermined. Kenneth Wee says the image of the Lord Jesus in the saint is not accidental, but it is derived as the likeness of a child is derived from its parents. Through the new birth, we become children of Jesus Christ and thus inherit his image. This image becomes progressively clearer as the believer grows in the Christian life. Let me ask you a question. Are you growing in the image of Jesus? Are you becoming more Christ-like as the years go by? As we've asked many times, are you growing up or just growing old? There's a difference. But grow, Peter says, in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will. God's plan. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be like Jesus. So he, con- he conforms us into that image through the processes of life. God's purpose is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. Okay? Then thirdly, he calls us. Look at verse, see the, the, he foreknew us and he predestined before he even called us because he knew what he was going to do with us when he got us. He calls us now. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Look at that at verse 30. Now, you know what it's like to be called. Somebody calls your name in the crowd or maybe you get a phone call. Today, there are many ways to call other people. we have FaceTime. We love that with our kids and grandkids. We can Skype. We got iPhones, smartphones. But when I was growing up, none of that was around. My mama had a unique way of calling us. We would be out in the neighborhood playing around. And when it was time for supper, my mama would call us in a unique way. You want to hear that? You want to hear how my mama used to call me? My mom is 88 years old. She could do that today if she were here. She's the one who taught me how to whistle like that. Mother would come on the back porch. And we could hear that all over the neighborhood. And when we heard that whistle, supper was ready. Let me tell you, one time I didn't come. I was playing. I was too involved to answer mama's call. So I just waited around. And you know what happened? When I got to the house, the door was locked. I'm serious. The door was locked. I sat on the porch and I watched my family eat supper. I never missed another call. (laughs) 
I'm sure I, I should, you know, I could call DHR today or somebody today. That's not true. But my mama made a point. You don't miss mama's call. You don't put it off. The Bible says that God calls us. God calls us. He calls us in a variety of ways. Some people hear God's call in the depths of despair. They hit bottom and they begin to look up. For others, though, listen. It says the kindness of the Lord leads them to repentance. You know, your life is good. God's blessing you. Isn't it time to acknowledge that? God's call on our life. In all of us, regardless of how we're called, we come to a point where we recognize our sin and, our, and the judgment for that sin. And the Spirit draws us to the Lord. It draws us to the Lord. Let's look briefly at, at three calls this morning. Just under that, that headline. You may want to jot these down. They are, he, first call is coming to me. That's the call of salvation. Coming to me. Jesus said, coming to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. This is a call of salvation. Jesus said in John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. This morning, if you hear the call of the gospel in your life, you know that you need Christ. Your life is not what it's supposed to be spiritually. And you know that you're lost and helpless and hopeless without Christ. God, God today is calling you through the gospel. What does God sound like? It doesn't, his call sound like not a whistle, but God moves in the spirit. He's calling you today into a relationship with him. Come unto me. For those who know him, there's a come follow me, a discipleship call. We know that we're saved, but we, we've been complacent too long. Albert Baptist is filled with good people, good people. And I, I could stand here today and say, most of you, I'm confident, have heard God's call. You've responded and you know Jesus. And, and most of you have found some sort of community. But the question is, are you, li- are you living on mission? Are you living on mission? Are you following Christ? Are you following Christ? Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's that point where we realize, you know, I've been a Christian for so long, but you know, I'm just not, I'm not serving the Lord. I'm not walking with Christ the way I want to or the way he wants me to. And then finally, the last call that we hear many times is come abide in me. Come abide in me. You know, this is, Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the, ran- I'm the vine, you're the branches. And, and that whole thing, there's a, a, a picture of intimacy and purpose. And that call to abide in Christ is a call to find all of our satisfaction in Jesus. You know, we just, you know, the world, I used to be go there. But, you know, I want to abide in Christ. And God's call is to abide. You know, and I'm not saying this is some neat three-step process that takes place in everybody, every believer. But once you've heard the call of salvation, doesn't mean that God's call is not on your life anymore. There are many of our young people, God wants to call into ministry, full-time missionaries. Or God wants to equip you in your job and vocation to go do ministry all over the world, mission work all over the world as a businessman or a businesswoman or however, you know, your vocation. But listen to God's call on your life. What is God saying to you? God continually calls us. And when he calls us for salvation, notice what Paul says here. Those whom he called, he also justified. He justified. What does that mean? It just means that he makes us right. He claims us. No longer are we living in sin. No longer are we clothed in our filthy rags, but we're clothed in his righteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. 
Paul said in Romans 3, you remember seeing that? God is the just and the justifier. His standard never changes. He's the one who justifies us. So he justifies those. He claims us. We put on the robe of righteousness. And then finally, he completes us. Notice this is God's process. He completes us. Those who justified, he also what? Glorified. Glorified. Notice that is in the past tense. Again, churches, right now, we are seated in the heavenly places with Jesus. How's that? I'm seated. You're seated, Albert. No, in Christ, you are seated already in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ, we have been glorified. Now, right now, we don't have the glorified bodies, but one day we will. One day we will. In hope, you know, Paul said, verse 24, chapter 8, for in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. We, our bodies will be redeemed. We will have glorified bodies. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. When? Right now. Right now. From which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his, say it with me, glory. The body of his glory. How? By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Church, that is a glorious plan. That is a glorious plan. That's why we can say if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? And our children this morning, I was turning on the lights around. We have a have a poster up there that said, Jesus wants to be your friend forever. <laughs> Jesus wants to be your friend. We can say that with confidence because of what we see in Romans 8, 29, and 30. This morning as we come to the Lord's table, we come to celebrate what Christ has done for us on the cross. You say this morning, well, you know, talking about chosen and predestined, I don't even know Christ. Well, God's call to you this morning is to come to Jesus. You say, well, does God love me? Yes. You don't believe God loves you? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. If we ever doubt God loved us, look at the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, if you want to know if God's working in your life and calling you, you come to him. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Those whom he calls, he justifies. Those whom he justifies, he, uh, what does he do? He glorifies, okay? God always finishes the task. He finishes the process. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. As we come to the-